Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today is Book Club. Before I bring up our conversation, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. Okay, so today's book is The Street by Anne Petrie. This book is a long time coming. Actually, I heard about this book last year through the author of An American Marriage, Thayari Jones, and I've been curious, but you know how book club is. We pick a book and it's kind of like I've got to do this book at some point. And so here we are. And real quick before we continue, I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm. Let's you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers, and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code LLTB podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. Almost time for book club, but I do want to mention that the audio cut out in, I think, a couple spots, two or three spots. So if you get to a spot where the audio jumps or clips, that's what it is. And now, Finally, after all that, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and welcome to Book Club. Welcome to Book Club, guys. We're doing The Street by Anne Petrie. Is that right? So what are your first thoughts? I loved it. I thought it was just so well written, so detailed. I felt like I was there. I wasn't, I was, the ending... I wanted, I wanted more. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the ending later. We will definitely touch on that. Erin, first thoughts. Are you done with the book? I'm not finished. I have less than a hundred pages, but my, the first chapter was hard for me to get through, but after that it picked up and I really enjoyed it a lot. Okay. All right. I mean, because I'm like, Oh, the ending, the ending. I think for me, what made this book incredible is it started off like Aaron said it, it was hard to get through and it's hard to get into and you're like what is going on and what is going on and then suddenly something happens and then something else happens and it just is a slow it's a slow burn but then it picks up and you're re- really intrigued and you're sucked in essentially that's how I look at this book and I wondered how she was going to end it I did not anticipate it going in that direction. Me neither. A shocking, surprising ending. Yes. um, It was just total, yeah, shocking, surprising ending. 
Hello, Rufat. Welcome. We just started. First thoughts. First thoughts. What do you think? Mm, I like the book. I think, again, like anything else about life and um, the the writing is definitely a, a literary piece, a masterpiece, I would say. I And I want to say that I love reading books from older times. I, I think you know that I'm not much of a contemporary reader fan. So I just loved reading that part. So the this writing itself is amazing. And I definitely the story and, you know, with all its poignancy and everything. Right. <laughs> So Erin has does not know the ending. She's a hundred pages oh, away. Okay. I know, I know. So we're kind of like, okay. no, that's good. That's all yeah. good. And I and I really feel like normally I'd be like, you know, hey, book club, we're gonna discuss the ending. But this is a really good ending. I think I'd like. Yeah. I want you to enjoy it, Erin. So I'm not gonna yes, mention mm-hmm. where because I did not anticipate mm. the direction. And you know, I'll tell you what. This is one of those books where, tell me whether you guys felt this way, but I finished this book and then I thought about how it starts, you know, where she says, this is the street. This is what the street does to you. And, you know, here I am. I left this person and now I'm here in this apartment. And these are the things that go on in the street, but she's trying to get out of the street. And she talks about how the street eats you up and all of that, right? And it's just the ending is poetic because and then you look at it and you you look at the whole and you look at the title and what the book is about. And it's like this full, nice package. It's poignant and it's got the message. And I just thought it was a brilliant piece. Yeah, definitely. What do you guys think was the turning point in the book? What was the one point where you went, okay where what this is definitely for me the turning point well first of all I was rooting so hard for her to catch a break because it seemed like everything she did she could just not catch a break and this book made me really understand what they mean when they say white privilege okay I mean I've or and I've heard it explained different ways but in the book you're like friends with her you know so when you see her just getting slammed down everything she tries to do, then it's terribly upsetting for one. But for me, the turning point was when she was trying to sing in that band and she was really good and he wanted her. And then she got shut down from doing that. And that I was like, Oh oh my gosh, because everything seemed to be leading up to her getting, and that was going to be her big break, you know, and that's how she was going to get her and her son off the street. And that's when it really turned for me. Right. Rufus, when did it turn for you? So what uh, really scared me was, and I don't know if Aaron has gotten to the point, but uh, even if Aaron, you haven't, basically the super, when he starts crossing the limits, that's when that was most scary for me. Somehow I thought Ludi will, you know, I mean, she is vulnerable and she, you know, like Amy said that, you know, no matter what she does, she's not able to get what she wants. And there's so many hurdles, but still she's an adult. And but when it comes down to her son and super trying to manipulate the son, that's when I thought was I really got very scared and something that made me very unsettled about the book. You know, I felt when the the super, you know, when he was crossing his limits 
I felt like everything was coming to a head around the same time. You know, you had Ludi, you know, getting this position to sing and then being like, oh, sorry. And, and then at the same time, paralleling, you have the super sitting there with the sun. I mean, it's all going like together. I was like, okay, what is happening here? It was a real, like a turning point at that point for me. Erin, where are you in the book? Um, okay, so I am where the teacher, they're telling kind of um, the teacher's perspective from Bub's room and he goes to the candy shop and gets chased by these boys who are trying to mug him. Um, that's where I'm at. And I think that the turning point for me, I I think I thought that stuff was going to go look up for her. It was really going to be going good when she was in Junto's bar and she's singing and she meets Boots. And I thought, oh, like there's this is going to go somewhere. Like not that he seemed like a perfect guy, but like he seemed like maybe he had money to take care of her stuff together. Maybe he was going to give her a job. Maybe he was going to marry her. That's where I thought stuff was going to change. But of course, you know, I'm past that point now. So <laughs> I know I know that that's not how it worked out, but I was really disappointed when Junto, you know, called him off. Right. And I found it really interesting that it's kind of like everyone here are puppets on a string and a lot of it is um, commanded by Junto. A lot of people are, including Mrs. Uh, What's her name? The neighbor, you know, uh, Johnson. No, that's Ludie Johnson. Hedges. 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 Including Mrs. Hedges, even she is a puppet on the string for Junto. Boots is a puppet on the string for Junto. So essentially, by that token, so is Ludi, because, you know, she's kind of controlled by Boots, who's controlled by Junto. The only thing is, is the super also, because Junto owns the building, right? Yes. No, I don't think he owns the building, but... Junto and Hedges can't do anything against, I can't, can do anything against Super. So he is controlled through Hedges. So Hedges can tell Super, you know, that I can get in or whatever when she threatens. And that's when, that's how he's also in one way controlled by Junto because Hedges has Junto's back and Hedges sort of manipulates Super. So this is more of a book about control also, who has power, who controls who, and essentially Super is trying to control his situation by controlling Bob and trying to win over by some perverted, I have no idea what he's trying to do, but by some means to win over Ludie Johnson. And it's all this fight of life, essentially. I think it's kind of interesting. Like, you're right. Like, they're all kind of puppets in, to different power pieces or power people. But it's interesting because they're all driven by different, I guess I would say, currency. So, like, for example, Mrs. Hedges and Junto, it's money. Like, money is what, so far that I've seen, is what drives them. And I guess I would also say boots. It's, a, it's about money money and like not having to answer to anybody else. So freedom 
And then you, but you've got Soup, who is all about his base needs, I guess is how, or base desires is how I would put that. Like he can't even think through how to win Ludi over in a logical way because he's so driven by that like base urge. Yes, I was going to say that uh, you're right, that the control thing, it to me, it seems like survival of the fittest. Whoever has been able to achieve it is doing their, his, her best to either control others or control their own circumstances or uh, whoever they can control. It kind of, you know, is the hierarchy or whatever. I do think money is important, but there's a lot of history behind it. I And again, I think I always give a lot of leverage to the characters because nobody's there because that's how they were born. Nobody's there because it's like the product of their situation, product of their childhood, product of the environment. So Yes, it it does. It's to me, it's like more like survival of the fittest, which pretty much I think we all at some level are doing. And with them, of course, it's a lot. And the way she portrayed every character is amazing. You know, I, I find survival of the fittest is one of it. But however, let's talk about soup. What did soup want other than sex, other than its base needs? Other than wanting to bed Ludie Johnson and to own her, what did Soup want? Um, well, to me, he's definitely a mentally ill guy, especially the way he, you know, just like Aaron mentioned that in his quest of winning Ludie, he has no idea where he is and, and he has no idea. He keeps on thinking, if I get rid of Min, then she will probably come and start living with him. <laughs> I mean, he has this to to me, it doesn't seem normal. And they did go through it that he had years of living in the basement and his, you know, the way he has been, he had had to spend his life. It was not only, uh, you know, it's like, and I think at one point it said that he wants to hurt people to the point that they are as hurt as he is. So that tells a lot about the way he reacted to his circumstances of life in which is of course very negatively and miss uh, mrs hedges also says that when ludi comes to mrs hedges and say there's so many people who live in the basement but they don't turn out to be like him and he goes she goes like everybody uh, reacts in a different way so to me he's a mentally ill guy <laughs> and somehow he's like just going in circles has no idea you know how to to understand his own situation i mean he can control people in one way or other but i don't think he's beyond that unfortunately and you know i think i agree with what we all think his his base need is and i don't know um other than that what actually might drive him besides just that it just seems like he's delusional as all get out i know that because he thinks that he has a chance with ludy and apparently he's really not probably a catch for any woman so i i can't think of anything else except for just that you know i i think in terms of if you want to bed a woman there are like as to quote beauty and the beast there's the usual flowers and chocolates and, you know, promises you don't intend to keep. I mean, okay, that's from a kid's movie. But, you know, there is all of that. You, He could have been a total jerk and wined and dined her just to do that. 
and then been a jerk and broken her heart. But this was like what Griffith says, mental illness. This is a very one track mind, I feel. And it makes no sense. He's just kind of like, okay, let me try this and let me try this. And I just, I feel bad for Bob. But that's the one thing I sat and thought about with the book. After the book is done, I mean, I'm not a mom myself, but I thought to myself, what can a parent do or say to their child in this situation to protect them from what happened? Any thoughts, anybody? Because, okay, here's the thing. Bob did the shoe shining because she talked about money, money, money. I want money. I want money. I want money. So Bob said, I'm going to go help my mommy. I'm going to go make money. And he started shining shoes. Then she gets livid with him. Don't ever do that. I am trying to elevate our station. You do that. You're going to be down, right? At that point, what I'm seeing is a child. Of course, you know, I'm seeing it from the point of view of a reader. I'm seeing a child who is aware and who is trying somehow to process his life and to help, right? And then what mom gives him is a, not an answer, but a no, that's it. And uh, I know, Rufat, you want to, but before you say something, I'll just tell you. So when I was a child, right? I still am a child in a lot of ways, I feel. It would be like, my dad is very authoritarian. He's just very, my way or the highway. It's like, well, dad, what about this? So why? No, just do what I tell you. So I grew up in that very, 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 do not ask any questions. Just do this kind of a way. But however, I didn't understand. And I grew up rebellious because I didn't understand the logic behind it. Because at some point, kids are able to think for themselves. And they need that help to extend that logic. And... At what point should a parent know that my kid is thinking for themselves? I I need to be there to help them extend that logic. And what could she have done? Because that's what I kept thinking. What could she have done? Rufat, your turn. I was going to say, you really raised an amazing point. And I didn't think of this whole point, although I kept on, I don't want to say it, it's as a mother, I wouldn't judge another mom, but I thought of the same thing, although not in delicate way that the way you did. And I appreciate that. So um, you're right. I think she wasn't very clear about what she was trying to achieve or what uh, collectively they could have, should have achieved. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, I also say that it's very easy to blame our parents even. <laughs> whenever we are not able to do something oh it's because they didn't do it no matter what they do it's never gonna come out you know nobody the the children don't come with the manual the parents are all first-time parents and uh, and there are a lot more factors to it too and I do think she was very focused on that thing that she did kind of forget that she was leaving him and a tad bit too late in understanding that the child should not be left behind knowing the circumstances and everything. So and not explaining to him, kind of shielding him from things maybe she should have exposed to, especially that she was living in on the street, you know, so I agree that she should have been a bit more 
but again, I, it's hard to judge a mother. God knows what she was going through. He was 10, right? Seven? Eight. 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 Okay, eight. He was eight. Okay. So how much can an eight-year-old process? What, what can a mother tell an eight-year-old? I don't think that there's a single answer to that. I mean, my philosophy is if my child is asking questions about a topic that she is in some way processing that topic and has skills that to at least partially process that topic. So if she's asking questions, then she deserves answers. You, But you do have to kind of figure out what's the developmentally appropriate answer you know, and there, I think we kind of talked about this in the last book club that it's hard to have like hard conversations, tough topics, you know, conversations with your child. And there were multiple times in this book where Ludie's like trying to figure out what do I tell him? Like, what do I, I don't want to jade him against the world. That's one of her concerns. I don't want him to make his whole focus about money, but I also don't want him to start down a path that seems to be you know, a domino effect to this bad outcome that she has seen other men in her community go, go down. So, I mean, I don't, I think that her, it's very hard where she is at trying to have those conversations. And I also think it's a completely different time and different place than what, you know, I can have, have experienced, you know, like you don't get to leave your kid at home alone today right at at age eight that's illegal but it wasn't back then and even the middle of new york you know but it's uh it's hard i don't think there's a straight answer to what can you tell an eight-year-old and a child's uh, uh developmental it like other than just the milestones every child is different too some children mature more than the others even among my own kids i can see that i think for me i was just trying to fix the situation i know this is fictional but you know it's based on some truth for sure. And when you read something, when you read something horrific or whatever, you always, I don't know about you, but I want to fix it. I want it to be better. I was like, I don't want this to happen. I want something good to happen. Why can't it be, you know, that the child is somehow protected from the soup? And, you know, why can't it be that. And so I'm just trying to fix things that I know cannot be fixed. And that's why I keep banging my head against the wall. I think I'm a child in a lot of ways, because it's kind of like, I'm, I think I'm childlike and that I keep asking, but why mommy, why can't this happen? Why did he do that? And that's how I feel right now. And I don't know. I mean, I know I'm an adult and I know I'm grown, but I'm still hurt and I'm still trying to fix it. And that's just where I'm at. I mean, one thing that I keep where I'm at right now in the book, and I keep going back to it is like, why doesn't she just let Mrs. Hedges take care of Bub after school? Because like, okay, I get she runs a house of women, uh, (laughs) you know, but a brothel, if you will. But at the same time, like as far as potential dangers and like affronts to his moral character, I feel like that's the least worst situation that Ludi has you know like okay Mrs. Hedges she seems to keep her girl safe and I don't know why she wouldn't keep Bub safe plus he can maybe do some running for her errands or whatever and I just I w- maybe I'll get to the end of the book and be like 
this is not the case, but. I will tell you that even if she would have done that, when Bob is running errands for Mrs. Hedges, the soup would have gotten to him elsewhere. The soup would have known his schedule because he is one track criminal mind. He would have been like, I want to get to Ludie Johnson. The best way is through her child. Okay. The child is with Mrs. Hedges. The child goes out here at this time. And he would have, I guarantee you, gone out, stopped the child somewhere on his route and something similar might have happened. And, you know, so, yeah. So what else is the theme of this book? We talked about money, power, control, puppets on a string. I know, uh, Amy, you talked about white privilege. What other themes are there? I think another theme is like how small and narrow that the margins are for people who are living in, um, you know, certain socioeconomic parts of the population as opposed to others. Like, for example, you at the very beginning when she's working for the, the rich family, I can't even remember their names at this point, but she's working for them. And they're essentially, in my mind, I think they're both alcoholics, the husband and the wife. They're not taking care of their kid. And, you know, the wife is having an affair with the husband's brother and he kills himself. Okay. So like there's, there's huge margins for that family. They like, they literally don't work. They don't do anything. They sit around and drink all day. They can be drunk a hundred percent of the time and not like, they're not worried about if they're going to get thrown out of their house. They're not worried about if they're going to lose their cars. And they have, not only that, they're not even worried about not, about taking care of their child because they have a hired person to do that. And so to me, it was like seeing how much room for error there is for that, for people that are living in that part of the population versus people who are like Ludi who are doing everything right and still like, you know, the margin of error is this big. She let her dad move into her house and because of his behavior, she lost, you know, the foster kids, which were her means for income. And that was the difference of her living in, in my mind, like a normal situation versus, you know, having to move to Harlem and, and, and live in less than an ideal situation by her standards, even. So I don't know. For me, it was like that margin of error was this big. She made one miss. She, you know, blames herself. Like she was doing a compassionate thing for her father and her margin of error was this big. And it was the difference between that lifestyle and the lifestyle that she ends up with in the book versus that other family. They're not doing their mistakes. were not out of compassion for anybody. You know, they were out of selfishness. Woody Johnson's father. Ah, just, I don't know. Made me so mad. I was just like, why can't she catch a break? Oh, just uh, going over the themes, I think she mentions it many times. And although the book is like written in different era and most of it still, you can still, it seems like resonates with today's, but there are some things. And to me, it was also the theme when the um, Italian lady tells her, it keeps on coming back to her that women shouldn't work when the kids are little and men should go to work, something like that. So to me, the theme is also of, of women who are ambitious and are stuck with men who actually, instead of helping them out, take advantage of them. So I'm not saying women should work or should not work, but that certain thing 
definitely was one of the theme. And of course, the gender-based was also kind of, you know. So that's uh, how I think. And since you uh, talked about the character of the dad, uh, yeah, that was interesting. And uh, Interesting is putting it mildly, but okay. Well, there are people like that. So it is what it is. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. Again. We can't fix everybody. I want to <laughs> fix it. I want to fix it. I'm just like, know. you know, and for me, I want to see the person who is struggling so hard. I want them to win. I want that underdog to win. That That's me. And, you know, I, I celebrate that. So, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to maybe go off on a tangent for a little bit, but let me tell you, like, so if someone is doing really well in life, like right now, okay, uh, a good friend of mine is doing so well in life, she's making so much money and all of that. And I'm judgmental and I look at it and I get jealous. I just get jealous. Like, why can't I be that? Okay. But then, you know, I'll tell you like Erin, okay, she's doing really well and she's moving up. And I sat there thinking, I'm not jealous of Erin. I want her to move up like higher, like way higher, because I'm like, Erin deserves way more than what she's at right now. And I'm like, I want the world for her. And I, and I sat there thinking, well, you're jealous of your other friends who's making all this, but you're not jealous of Aaron. Why are you not jealous? And I think, again, it's because I see the effort that Aaron is putting in. I see all the stuff she's gone through. She deserves to be up there. So back to the book, back to Ludie Johnson, I see what she's doing. I see that effort. So if I'm in on the street with Ludie Johnson and she is making it one step higher or two steps higher than me, I would commend her. I'm not jealous of her because I see her climb. I see that she has gone there and it's not entitlement. It's not like someone just gave it to her as a gift. She wasn't born with it, but she really worked for it. And that's how I feel about Ludie. And when her dad, you know, is just like throws that party and, you know, all of that just makes me upset because it's things that she cannot control. She's trying so hard to do everything right. And yet, you know, so that, that's my take on it. I just had to bring that up about life in general, about things that people have. And I think there is a bit of jealousy with the super, maybe that Ludie is a woman who's at least to a level where she shouldn't even be that high, which she's not even high, but she shouldn't even be there. So I'm going to take her down a notch and or I'm going to own her. So there is that element of a theme, I feel. Yeah, let me think about it, what you said. I didn't say anything profound, okay? <laughs> I'm not known for that. <laughs> no, 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 that's not it. I think, uh, well, again, that's, a, a, you know, 
a personal way of looking at a book, I would say, and it, it, this is how you look at it and uh, that makes it. But yeah, the things uh, are out of control and it can be because of many reasons, uh, because Ludi was alone and not did not have money. She was not of the dominant race. She was she had no control on many aspects of her lives, even her beauty, you know, even her youth. So that, but I think a lot of people who have those control may not have control in other situations. So we all um, end up getting, I mean, life is not perfect for everybody. You can pick a rich person or an intelligent person or anybody. So it kind of like her dad moving and ruining things. It can happen to anybody, through dad, through anybody else, through, you know, your in-laws, through your own parents, through your own brothers, through friends, they can be dishonest. And I, you know, I guess you and I are kind of just not making any certain point, but no, I get what you're saying though, that it's uh, something personal with the character. So yeah, it is very sad to see how she is trying everything, but not getting there. Uh, I only had one disagreement with her that she was basically there are two things that I kind of did not first of all she was not very realistic sometimes thinking that yeah tomorrow I'm going to move from here and then you know that's the end of the street and all that and uh, regarding bootsmith and all that right that tomorrow everything will be fine and she knew what was expected of her and she thought she could maybe sort of uh, bypass that and still get her money uh, that's fair. And I hope I'm not ruining it for you, Erin. Okay. So that part I thought, and second thing I kind of did not understand was, uh, and that's also the writer uh, sort of, which brought a little bit of rainy, uh, rating was the mention of Bub's relationship with dad and her role in that relationship. Um, it, that would have been nice. So overall, I loved all the characters. Ludi being the main characters, uh, I thought she had some of the flaws that writer couldn't complete her character. But the rest, whether it was Junto, whether, I mean, we like them as a person or not, but their characters were really made beautifully. And you will see, Erin, that she, uh, it's amazing that the writer doesn't cover everything in the end. There's questions there why what but still it looks to me like a complete book as compared to many other books where you know the books don't look complete even everything is even when everything is included in it I like that that she kind of touched few things and she left quite a few things but still by the end of the book when you finish the book you don't care about those things and you say you kind of understand that it doesn't matter what the past was or what was driving people to do good or bad it's just that they did good or they did bad so I love that part of the book I did miss this thing in Luri John uh, Johnson's character that I told you but other than that I loved everything about the book and I loved her character I pretty much liked everybody else the way it was created and crafted by the author and I love that everybody, all the way from Mrs. Hedges to, they didn't go much in Junto's past, but still, you know, it, it didn't need much explanation. But uh, they did kind of, even Min, I thought, was like really nice. And I loved how the writer kind of has on many occasions, like when Min walks back from the prophet with an authority, the way Super behaves 
perceived the way he was thinking he was going to behave that I think she wrote such a power, powerful thing about how you as a person or a woman can sort of dictate when you walk in a room or when you walk in a relationship or even as a mother, as anybody, as a father even, that your attitude matters a lot the way people are going to react when, when you walk in with a certain, uh, and I'm not talking about negative attitude, but your own confidence or your own personality or the way you think. I really love that part of the book a lot. And it, uh, to me, was the best lesson that, you know, yes, you have to be confident in yourself. And that dictates a lot on how other people are going to react in any relationship, in any uh, situation. So overall, I really loved it. And uh, how would you rate? I know you have to go. That's why I'm like, how 4. would you rate? 4.5, I would say. Okay. 4.5. And I think there are a whole bunch of different covers. The one that I had seems really beautiful. I've looked at all the vintage and new covers. Everything is beautiful. I loved the writing uh, because I love old uh, books, Whoa. but also because it related a lot to today's, even although it's written in 1940s. And I loved her vivid imagery. I, it was really poetic and lyrical and sometimes very, you know, straight on literary as well. So I love that part. Good. So we went over themes mm -hmm. and then talking about characters. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who is? I have two. So, I mean, like, I think, well, the obvious one, everybody loves Ludie, but outside of Ludie, my two, I have two that are like a close second. And okay. that's Mrs. Hedges and Min. I love them. And I, at first I was like, what is this Min character? Like, what is she going to be? But I agree with what Riffith said about when she comes back from the root doctor or whatever that they call the them. Prophet. Yeah, the prophet. Yeah. yeah. The prophet. And, um, and she's like, I'm going to, you know, clean house. And like, <laughs> I mean, like literally, but also figuratively. And I loved, I also thought you could very well see in the writing like I could picture it I say that you can see in the writing um how her confidence changes and her presence in a room instead of trying to like when Ludie describes her when she comes to like see the you know the apartment and she's like oh this woman just like blends into the wall she's just you know but then you know after she comes back from the prophet she's not blending into any walls she's slamming that door she's you know asserting her presence Right. And her value in his life, regardless of wh whether he appreciates that or not. But by goodness, she is not going <laughs> to let him dictate whether or not that she leaves that apartment. I think and it I makes don't a know. big difference. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, how is what this prophet, when she's meeting with the prophet, I'm like, how is this going to help her? Right. I was thinking but, the same thing. I was like, how is this going to help? I'm like, great. Spray this over. But it's all it's placebo. It was the confidence that he it's, made her leave with seeing her value. If you believe in yourself yeah, and you believe you have magic. Yep. She was leading with it and it's huge. He could have told her to do any number of things. I mean, the house cleaning part was, was probably like, that's logical. If you keep the house clean, you're going to be less likely to get kicked out of it. But, <laughs> I mean, well. but you know what I'm saying? So I, I loved men. I loved the the transformation in her. And then I just liked Mrs. Hedges character as a person. And I feel, I feel badly for her 
that, you know, she is a survivor of a tragic accident. First of all, it shows her strength that she got through that mm-hmm. situation and survived that situation. But, but I do think it's tragic because she had all these hopes and dreams and, and she's such a confident person in so many ways. And you would never guess that it's her lack of confidence that is preventing her from like fulfilling her dream of having a husband right. you know, in a life like that. Mm-hmm. That was what she wanted from, that's really all she wanted from the city when she came to the street. Right. Right. That was it. So I think it's sad. And maybe that like the juxtaposition of those two characters is why it gets me. But, you know, you have men who started out so meek and then she's like ferocious in the end. And you have Mrs. Hedges, who you think is this big, bad person all along when really she's even though she is big, tough, like formidable person, she has so many hurts and some lack of confidence. I um, I like men, too. I like men and I really like Bob. I know. And, and, you know, it's even as a kid, I just, I don't know. I really liked him because he was, he was trying so hard. Also, he wanted to please his mom and he wanted to be someone. And it's just like, these kids are just vying for attention. And it just broke my heart that, you know, he was trying. So um, yeah, men and, um, and Bob were my two characters and um I really um with the super I mean I just it's kind of I since you don't know the end I can't give it to you but I just uh it's the question at the end about that came up for me about you know like you did all this and yeah anyway it's just that question but I don't want to give you the end or anything like that so uh, but yeah uh, it seems pathologic to me but that's yeah no it is pathologic but it's yeah after you're done we should talk again. It's like, okay. I know, I know we're recording book club and they're like, wait, what, what? No, I'm sorry. You know, I like the cover that you had. Yes, so, this is, I love this cover. It's so gorgeous. I mean, Ludi, look at Ludi. It's just so, it's so neat, you know, with mm-hmm. the yellow hat, yellow glove. It's just, it's really. I it's, love the cover. Yes. The cover is just five. I love the book too. I gave it a five. I personally I gave it a five. I didn't give it a 4.5. I gave it a five. I would recommend people read the book. Would I read it again? I don't know. I might, I might not. I mean, I have so many books, so I don't know about reading it again for myself, but I definitely will recommend people read it. And I thought it was just worth it for me, despite the slow start. Mm -hmm. So that was me. I give the uh, the cover a five. I have. I'm not gonna rate the book itself until I finish it, but I will rate the the title, um, which I think is also a five because I mean the points that you guys made before, like it starts out talking about the street. You refer to the street multiple times throughout mm-hmm. the book. I'm assuming it's gonna end on the street, so <laughs> um, so you know I I think it's a totally appropriate. Uh, oh yeah, the title. title. Yeah, no, the title is excellent too. I could not have thought of a better title, really. The street. It's it's just brilliant. It's graphic. It has all the punch that you need. And the word, the street, it's, yeah. Although, like, today's vocabulary is the streets. Mm-hmm. But the 40s, the street. Mm-hmm. It's just brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. So, 
Anything else about this book? I know you haven't finished it, but. I've been, I think the, and Rufith made reference to this, the, um, even though this was written decades ago, what, like a half, over a half a century ago, (laughs) it is remarkable how, you know, what is the word I want to say? How relevant that it is today, how the themes are, like you still feel them. And I, and I feel that a lot of the issues that are approached in this book are unfortunately still timeless. You know, hopefully they're not forever relevant, but I do feel like I could, like, it's shocking to know that this was written by somebody way back then. I'm glad it was written way back then as a means to capture the timeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't speak for the author. Maybe, you know, it's like, hey, let me capture the timeline here. Maybe someone in 2021 will read this book and maybe it'll be different and they'll think, what is this all about? This is not how it is. But the reality is, in a lot of ways, it still is. A lot has not changed. A little bit has changed. A little bit. Like with the kids being left, you know, alone and all of that. That has changed, but... A lot has not changed. Yeah. yeah. With with the race and, you know, power and money, dominion, all of that. I think about books that you have to read in school. Like, I feel like, honestly, this is a book that, I mean, so far what I've read, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe the ending is terrible, but um, <laughs> I doubt it. But I don't think I our like... white West County parents can handle this book. I'm sorry. Mm, well, you know, I, that's that's, that's how, the problem is that books like this that were written so long ago haven't made it into the curriculum. That is true. No, absolutely. I agree with you. The street needs to be part of the curriculum. Kids need to read the street by Ann Patrick. Absolutely. But unfortunately, West County, white neighborhoods, white people are going to be like, well, we can't handle this. This affects our sensibilities and we're too sensitive. <laughs> So, oh my gosh, someone's going to listen to this podcast and I don't know what I'm going to do. That's okay. Send it my way. (laughs) I'm like, don't come at me. Aaron's going to punch you out for me. (laughs) I'll be like Mrs. Hedges. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, um, I really enjoyed the book. I'm really glad the recommendation was made by Tayari Jones Mm -hmm. and, uh, Actually, even Marina Books brought it up. Like I had mentioned to them that, hey, I was doing streets for book club and they were like, that's awesome. So uh, I don't know if it's just republished recently or what the deal is. It is. That's what I I had read that it was republished. Yeah. So and uh, I'm really glad that it has been republished. It's very timely. And um, highly recommend this book for book clubs, for schools, and all of it. So, uh, and there's I don't know. So, and this may not. I mean, obviously, it may just be this copy. But the copy that I have at the very end, it does have questions, discussion questions, right? And a pretty thick section of it too. Oh wow! Most books these days come with that. Yeah, and I also think that authors are asked to write questions 
for their books before they're published. So then book clubs can just do them, but it's good for, I mean, I looked at the questions back here. It's good for the classroom too. Okay. Classroom questions. Maybe in the future for book clubs, I can um, start looking at the questions at the back of a book also. I mean, we do hit like themes and characters and, you know, motivations and things like that. So, but definitely for the future, we'll do that. Okay. I think that's pretty much it. So I'm going to call it quits for book club for today. And that's all we had for this time. You know, it's interesting with the podcast. I feel I have always been behind, always as in the past few months. And with this episode, I am officially caught up, if that's even a possibility. Of course, there are episodes I'm working on, I'm going to work on. So just because I'm caught up doesn't mean this is the end. So it's, uh, we've got stuff coming up. Most notable is that I am going to have an author conversation with New York Times bestselling author and her book is a Reese book club pick. Alka Joshi, the author of The Henna Artist and The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, she just said yes to being on my podcast. I haven't recorded that episode yet, but I'm really looking forward, I mean majorly looking forward to chatting with her and to sharing that conversation with you all in this podcast. So stay tuned for that. Other episodes, I'm going to go back to bookish episodes. There's one I've been working on for, I think, two months now about audiobooks. So I will be working on that episode next. And before I run the um, end credits and all that, I do want to say the third anniversary for this podcast is coming up September 6th. Yes, it'll be three years of this podcast. On September 6th, I will not be in town, but of course, I'm planning to pre-record and all of that. I've been thinking about it quite a bit, and I have decided that I'm going to use the author conversation with Alka Joshi as my third anniversary episode. So um, wish me luck, folks. Stay tuned. And that's all I have for this episode. And um, let's roll the credits. If you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. But I think the page is called Living a Life Through Books. I'm still new to TikTok and still navigating the waters there. My tag on Swell is at Bookish Podcast. It's a different kind of audio app. But it's still a good way to reach me. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shanazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavic. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time.